Hi guys, hello and welcome back to the Shelf Impactors podcast. This is episode number eight. And in this episode, I discuss the free from category with my good friend and fellow brand designer, Lisa Hastings. So as many of you will have undoubtedly noticed, the free from aisles in our grocery stores are growing on a massive scale, uh, almost weekly, with new brands and private label products being introduced to the market on a frequent occurrence. Lisa and I discuss our own observations of the markets and what next for the consumer choices when venturing down the free from aisle. So here we go. Hello, Lisa. How are you doing? Hey, Mark. How are you going? Really Great. well. Listen, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, so as you know, we're going to be discussing um, the free from category and how you and I have noticed some big differences over the last uh, few years in the market and what's been happening. Um, a lot of that obviously down to our own experiences. Um, I know that uh, from when we used to live back in Sydney uh, and work, we live and work in Sydney, um, you developed a passion for the gym, which is fantastic. And with that became a, an expansive knowledge of what you're eating, what you're filling your body with. So um, just to start, Lise, tell me a little bit about um, your nutritional sort of knowledge and background and where you've come from and where you are now with your own uh, nutritional intake. Um, well, as you know, Mark, yourself, because you're a bit of an influence in this, in starting to go to the gym and be a bit of a, a foodie in a different way. And we designed for food aspects and we designed for this category for years, but that doesn't mean we're always knowledgeable in it. I definitely think Australia opened my eyes to food and the way it's grown and just kind of the exposure of enjoying food, which is a bit different to a lot of the culture sometimes of England. It becomes about quick and easy. Um, and I know we've discussed all this before about the difference in global cultures and things, but it was definitely more an outdoor lifestyle. You wanted to be active. You wanted to be outdoors. And that was sort of what drove me towards finding out a bit more. And um, as someone who previously ate cereal for dinner a lot of the time, because we have busy lives, we live in London and that kind of stuff previously. So um, you just do what you do and you don't really think too much about it. Um, but obviously, as you get older, you want to know that you're fueling yourself the right way. And you were a big influence in that. But obviously, free from as a category has grown and is growing massively. Well, do you think that started in Sydney? Because obviously, when we were out there, there was a, they are very much into their, uh, yeah. their healthy eating, healthy lifestyles. Uh, and they will obviously, and have for many years, I'm sure, but certainly uh, whilst we were out there, what, five or six years ago, at least, um, Every shop we went into, the Woolworths, your Coles, health foods were high on everyone's agenda um, as far as what they were consuming, uh, far greater than it was back in the UK at the time. Um, now with, crikey, gluten-free. Uh, so, but there are so many. There are so many categories in which um, are, grow, are growing as far as the health food uh, environment goes. And I definitely think the one thing that I do think um, that Australia was a lot further ahead with that. Do you think England and Australia have sort of echoed each other in terms of free from, latching yeah. onto the gluten-free and the wheat-free? And more so because you've had people for quite a long time who've been sort of lactose intolerant, so they've been dairy-free. Or yeah. there are there is more of an awareness with gluten because of celiacs, and it is actually statistically testable. Um, whereas I think the one thing that was definitely leaps and bounds ahead in Australia was the sugar. 
um, and their sugar tax and the intro, like just encouraging from a really early age not to have sugar. So I think here it's almost encouraged. Like I don't know about you, but I, the amount of cans of Coke I used to drink as a kid, not because I had bad parents, but I have an amazing mum, but because it was just the thing. It, it wasn't thought of as wrong or bad. Whereas over there, people drink water or even they don't really even go fruit juice. People naturally grow up drinking water. It's hot, so you want liquid. So it's just a different mindset that you're born into and kind of nurtured through, I suppose. So with yourself, Lise, so you obviously moved away from your cereal diet. Uh, and then <laughs> I did. I'm now paleo. So I've gone through a few different. First, I went on to gluten free. Yeah. More so because I was really struggling for energy and for other health reasons. So, and what triggered what triggered the the gluten free diet for you? Uh, it was more of a it was partly an energy thing, but um, I had a bit of an autoimmune condition that was undetected at the time, um, and may have been around for years and years, and it was slowly starting to manifest itself as you get a bit older. These things, and so I noticed things like rashes and lack of energy. And it was just frustrating. Anything that's stopping me doing what I want to do and feeling awesome, I suppose. And I would just want to find a solution because I don't, I don't believe that medical people telling you all the time that's how it is, is always the solution. I definitely think you can always look inward first before you start trying to find a quick fix. And so, so picking up on, on the gluten-free aspect then, because that was obviously your, your first turning point, let's say. So turning away from the cereals, for going to gluten-free meant that you had to drop your cereals. Was taking gluten out of your diet something which was suggested to you by doctors or by nutritionists, or was it just by your trial and error? It was actually suggested by an acupuncturist. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so um, doctors encouraged me to kind of just be active, and they, they really couldn't see anything necessarily the problem. Um, but an acupuncturist actually said to me, like, you seem quite wired, you kind of seem kind of burning out a bit on the go all the time have you thought about how your gut and your kind of your digestion might be a lot better you might even sleep a bit better if you tried switching to kind of a wheat-free diet which go oh geez and and, you know australia has beautiful fruit toast and all those kind of things and so but for years i've grown up thinking well i'm skinny and i'm active so it doesn't really matter what i eat Whatever I eat, it's fine. And just as you get older, you go, I've not got as much energy as I used to. And you might be still slim and you might be still relatively active, but you don't feel quite as amazing as you did. Yeah. That's kind of when you start to go, I need I need an answer. And it's not always, you know, I, I find out um, when I broke a bone that I had quite damaged bones and I wanted to turn that around. If I could turn it around, I wanted to turn it around. And that's what got me fascinated with nutrition. Gotcha. So you, t- you went gluten-free and then... You said you've progressed from gluten-free and then you started putting other things out of your diet. Is that right? I did. Well, I quit sugar. Then I went gluten-free. Yeah. And I'm an all-or-nothing person. Yeah. So the first week of not having sugar was the hardest thing in the world. I used to love bags of pick-and-mix lollies and sweets. Um, so that was really hard. That was harder than going gluten-free. Um, and then obviously went gluten-free. And figured, okay, so what else can I do to power myself up? I was feeling better. It was really good. So what else can I do? What's the next level of making me feel even better and stronger? Just so, just before we move on, did you find going gluten-free quite easy? Did you find the whole process of yeah. picking up foods fine? I did in Australia, but I don't know how anyone would answer that here because I think there's so much now in the free-from category that's gluten-free. Yeah. Um, that said, in 
changing to gluten-free, you actually tend to real, not be told that you take more sugar in because a lot of gluten-free replace the gluten with sugar. So again, it's just things that, and it's an education piece, and I think that's our job as designers, and to educate even clients sometimes. Do you know that you're saying this is good for you? Is it? Is it? And is there a way? We've just recently done a really great brief with a client, and it was for a peanut butter that's really high in protein. Mm. The one thing that they were missing out on, though, is that it was made with palm oil. Right, that's the devil and, of all oils right now, isn't it? Palm oil. And, and the only reason when we said to them, like, why, why do you guys um, not use something other than palm oil? Is they said, oh, it separates the peanut butter. Yeah. It like it doesn't. It means you have to mix it. It forms a liquid on the top. We said, well, look, from the research, quite a lot of people are looking that they want it without palm oil. Mm. And they've gone back, they've developed the recipe, and we've now branded it, repackaged it, done a whole new launch for it, and it's palm oil free. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that is good. It wasn't that they didn't want to do it. They just weren't aware how big of a deal it was to people. Now, again, people avoiding palm oil in their diets, for the most part, yeah. is it down to ecological issues? They don't. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. And if it, well, it's just if you've got the option between the two, people are always going to pick the one that yeah. is going to um, no, help absolutely. the planet more. So, so you went gluten free. I'm just sort of pulling back to where we were. We went gluten free, and then you're now paleo, sugar free, gluten free. Paleo. Well, I'm, I call it an adaptive paleo because I don't eat I don't eat red meat, um, but I eat paleo, and the only meat that I eat is organic meat or well sourced meat. And um, yeah, and plants and whole foods where possible. More of the whole foods diet, but with some organic so, meat included. On the subject of the free from category, you are the ideal consumer. I mean, this is your only aisle that you will venture down, and the rest of it just gets discarded. Well, you see, that's where I think us as designers and as an industry, we have a job to educate people because a lot of the foods that tick at all the right boxes are not in a free-from aisle. Mm. And I think you're being sold more expensive ways of buying into those because they say free-from on. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And each, each of the retailers is has their own, certainly with, with specific um, knowledge of the UK market at the moment. You've got uh, all the big four, or big three now potentially, but let's say the big, call them the big four for the moment, um, with big free from categories growing tremendously. I mean, I was just looking at some numbers actually um, before we jumped on the call. Um, so free from at the moment, just to sort of give you some figures, um, 800 million pounds in the UK alone, with interestingly enough, dairy-free products accounting for more than half stroke 52 percent of the sales that's uh, from the grocer magazine so you know, these, these are big numbers and they're growing hugely all the time um there was i did have another number with regard to um where there is a huge one isn't it i know even just 12 months ago when i came back to the uk to work at park williams and you opened our fridge in the studio and there was just dairy milk in there <laughs> yeah. And now, this, I mean, well, we had a, actually had a milk-based client in the other day, and we said, well, like, how do we do our research for this? And we just said, open the fridge, and there's at least six different types of milk. There's cashew milk, there's hazelmilk, yeah. soya milk. In just a year, it's grown that yeah. much. So it's amazing, isn't it? Do, do, do you find a lot of these as fads? I mean, from my own perspective, I, I am... My own personal interests are sort of health and to a certain extent my own nutrition. 
and I will often follow and listen to many people who are in the industry in fitness in, in the fitness industry who are nutritional specialists and they admit and agree that this, a lot of these things can be fad or faddish so the diets that we're sort of talking about and referring to which I mean veganism paleo uh, ketogenic gluten-free lactose-free meats reducing diets and then even a, the 5-2 diet which is um intermittent fasting a new one in america when i was there recently is the whole 30 everyone's massively into the whole oh, what's 30. that one i've not heard that one again it's a whole 30 eating so many different things on a plate diet but even like you know big retailers like walmart mm. are catering meals they're bringing out ranges for these specifically for these sorts of yes. diets so that yes. people can shop easily and know where to go but it's very yeah, hard though how can you how can you cater for these diets which do and sometimes just last months before that something else takes over um so it must be particularly difficult think, for the retailer to keep up yeah and i do think some of them are quite not fad diets but i think you sort of have to work out what's right for you and as soon as you introduce the word diet you start saying you've it, it needs to become more of a lifestyle, I think, than a diet. Mm. But the one positive about all of these things and the growth in such categories is bit by bit, it's actually becoming affordable. Because the one thing before was you could only be gluten-free if you were posh enough or um, <laughs> affluent enough to afford to shop in that aisle. Yeah, yeah, I understand. To an Aldi, you perhaps couldn't find the amount of choices that you could get in a Sainsbury's yeah. or a Waitrose. Yeah. So it's definitely the amount of choice we're now having is definitely helpful to people who do really genuinely have intolerances or feel better on certain ways of eating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's substantial. I mean, just going back to some of those numbers. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm reading here the uh, sort of Amy Fisher from Dairy Crest. Um, Dairy Crest have brands like Cathedral Cheese, Clover Butter, Utley Butterly. Um, she proposes that they're from the free from sector, it's expected to grow by a further fifty percent by twenty twenty one. So that's in three years' time. That's, I mean, substantial growth numbers. As you can see, how pro manufacturers, I think, we've got to be part of this somehow. So they they will produce and make things more affordable, that so they can get themselves into the market, allowing consumers greater choice. With no doubt, more diets coming out on the, in the on the horizon too. It's a, it can be a bit of a minefield too, I think, as well. So, And I think you start, once you start calling things like if you've got a paleo range or whatever range, you start to put people in boxes. Yeah. You start to put ranges of products in boxes. And I think it's nice to communicate a lot of the key features of your product and your packaging without necessarily stating it too blatantly. Because yeah. if you release something, you say keto range well, what about if I'm paleo? Does that not apply to me? So you sort of, almost brands do need to be aware of when they build their brand, think about the future of it. And it doesn't take long for these diets, which become highly popularized, to then become villainized um, in yeah. a number of months. Think about the Atkins diet, for example. That was something which was came pretty prolific. Crikey, what, eight, nine years ago. Uh, Rose to some catastrophic sort of numbers um and then nowadays so you can't just have a protein only diet that's ridiculous that's you could you've got to have, i mean it's it's now in another form for example ketogenic isn't too dissimilar to the atkins diet to a certain extent but yeah. some of these diets do get sort of in favor then out of favor quite quickly um 
I guess that brings me on to another subject that I think is quite important is the free from uh, we know is growing. How do brands communicate this and what methods do they use in order to make it appealing to the consumer? So we've just said that making it too specific, becoming a, a paleo range or a keto range is probably a little bit one step too far. I mean, are you working on anything at the moment or have you done recently which where you've had to signpost it? We've got a couple of really big clients in um, at the moment. One that's actually in beauty rather than food. So I think uh, the interest in this whole kind of um, kind of health and nutrition can also come through beauty as well and it about being inside out is that I really think it is important in such situations to trust people and talk to people like brand experts and strategists in the kind of industries that we work in because we don't just look at things and see what's trendy now. We look at what people are buying into in terms of consumers and how they might move forward. I know we look at consumer trends as part of trend watching and we look at it's really important when you create the brand to think about you need to get people to connect with you as a brand and therefore I think you're giving yourself the flexibility to branch into areas without being too specific. Or if you release something that's paleo, if you brand it the right way and you develop some sort of structure and strategy for that brand, it can then move into keto. But it's really important to consider that when you like starting starting off, as you know, like we've got one at the moment when it's actually brand um, name generation and everything. Um, and it's really important for them to understand that they might be in their dairy-free at the moment or alternative dairy, but as a brand, what are they giving to people who are buying into them as a brand and how can that morph in the future? Yeah, no, I completely see almost ex- adding to the extension rate or range extensions and can they sort of yeah. flex that a bit further to attract other specialist diets? If, if I want, yeah, if you have a good idea, I know... A lot of the retailers that we work with as well, they might say, oh, I've got this and I want to put it into this brand and range. It's also about them realizing that it doesn't always fit into an existing hole. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. always say, okay, it can go under that brand. Like if, if it's not known and recognizable for that, think about what people are buying into. And, you know, we use sort of trends such, such as intuitive wellness or, you know, it's about or universe or local love is another trend that we see a lot of um, favorability for at the moment, which is, it's wanting things that are fresh and are also from around us. Yeah, so locally not from overseas. Yeah. But that's yeah. something that you can't see that necessarily going anywhere. That's definitely going to stick around. Mm. And that becomes a message from something that is, you know, organic and locally sourced. That, you know, it's our job obviously to communicate that without necessarily shouting it out bold and proud. And are you finding are you finding I guess going back to that brand messaging and what's on pack for uh, a lot of the consumers, uh, what they can see, a lot of these brands are almost putting vegetarian and even their own vegan symbols on pack when some of these products are vegan or vegetarian anyways. I mean, having a, an extreme example, but putting a vegetarian symbol on the packet of, on a packet of spinach is, for crying out loud, that's a, unless you're, you're speaking to consumers who really have no idea, crikey, it's, it's almost jumping on a bandwagon which yeah and it was really interesting what you were commenting earlier mark about the vegan logo because we've got so i mean loads of you know briefs that we get and say can you add the vegan logo to this packaging it's been vegan forever Uh, but all of a sudden it's time to get it on 
packed loud and proud and big and bold with the 15 yeah. other messages that are on there. But it was really interesting what you were saying earlier, wasn't it, about um, the people are developing their own vegan logo. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, part of that is because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying this in the right way. I'm pretty sure that uh, this is correct. The, the vegan society had their own symbol, which you can use. Uh, and again, that seems like it'd be the most appropriate symbol for everyone to be uh, applying to the packaging. But you, you pay for that um, service. Or you, you pay to put it on your packing. So a lot of these brands think we don't want to pay anything extra for part of our production um, to add more to the, the cost of the, bringing this to the consumer. So we'll create our own symbol. So at the moment, there are so many symbols and icons out there which do reference a vegan lifestyle, a food that would suit a vegan lifestyle, a person who lives in that sort of that vegan environment, and also vegetarianism and some of the other diets. So, and I think it is becoming a bit of a minefield for the consumer to try and understand, okay, what does this mean? What does a gluten-free product actually mean? I think for the most part, if you ask the consumer, what does gluten-free mean to you? I don't think they'll be able to answer it. No. And, and even lactose-free, what does lactose-free mean to you? And why are you going lactose-free, for example? Why do you want lactose-free food? And I, I, part of it, I think, is a, a sort of a wider education, which I don't know how it's going to happen and what form it needs to take, but for people to understand this. Yeah, it also comes as well as we've become more sort of multicultural generally as a society. Yeah. Like I know how popular, well, not how popular, but how necessary lactose-free is from living in China. Yeah. Because... I think it's something like 70% of the population there are lactose intolerant. So it's it's everywhere has alternative milks or lactose-free milks. Mm. We have a different, it's where you're raised and things and what you got gets used to being cultivated by. Um, so it's just, again, it's as we become more multicultural as countries and have more diversity of people living in us, yeah. we need that information, we need those answers. And we start to educate ourselves and, and through the people around us start to educate us. Mm. And again, I've commented on many times before, The I think it's the Instagram world out there which is sort of pu- pushing certain diets in certain directions. And the I don't they are there are fads out there. And it does frustrate me sometimes. You think, listen, our generations, we have coped and survived by consuming this food. And yes, I understand that sustainability is very important for us right now so we need to understand that if we're eating foods that are unsustainable we need to manage that um but for the most part that's the interesting thing about vegan isn't it because people assume that um if you have a plant-based diet i mean two of the most popular ones at the moment are vegan because veganuary was one of the largest <laughs> yes. uh, ones ever wasn't it yeah that they've ever seen people jumping on the vegan trends there's and i mean we've discussed a little bit about the new jamie olivers of the vegan world the bosch boys yes um, henry firth and ian Theesby, i think it is uh-huh. so as soon as that vegan is now all of a sudden trendy so there are people who've been vegan for years but vegans but a vegan's of- a lifestyle isn't it it's not a diet so a, a, a vegan is someone who lives a certain lifestyle and it's not just in what they eat it's the way they approach their lives and it's their beliefs isn't it yeah. it's about the cruelty to animals and then this year apparently the new one is the whole food diet or the plant-based diet 
which I had to do a bit of research to see vegan versus plant-based, what's the difference? What is that, Liz? Tell me what the differences are. I can do the really nerdy stat that they put on the website to say that a vegan can actually eat quite a lot of processed food and still, as long as it's not cruel to animals in any way, shape or form, and has no animal product in it, whereas a plant-based diet um, will eat primarily whole foods. So the difference is a vegan can eat an Oreo, Whereas, because everything in it is vegan and it's not cruel to animals in any way, shape or form, it contains no dairy. Um, whereas um, a plant food dieter cannot eat an Oreo or at least chooses not to. Brilliant. Because it's, it's processed. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it is. <laughs> a... Can I have an Oreo? Are you vegan or are you a whole Yeah, put it in front of them and test them. So, but there's so many brands out there popping up with all of these that tick so many of these boxes. It's just interesting to see. We were trying to think about, weren't we, the ones that did it well and ones that did it um, badly. Yeah. And I could think of quite a few ones that were doing it well right now by not shouting, we are vegan and all that kind of stuff, but still getting the cues across. But I couldn't think of very many terrible ones. Well, I think <laughs> you, had to do, you had to venture down the aisles and there'll be some... Um... That's because they don't stick in your mind, do they? Yeah. There so, like you say walk down the aisles and there's so many now going I'm vegan I'm this I'm this I'm this that there's so many messages you don't remember the brand name and a lot of them are brands which have actually now flagged up that they are um, vegan yeah. friendly or vegetarian when they always have been and for the most part if the consumer really knew they would know this I mean and as an example a couple of years ago I thought I would trial a gluten-free diet and see how I went and I was told uh, by my fitness coach at the time he was explaining to me you need to get gluten-free oats and i had to think about this the gluten-free oats oats don't have wheat in no. so rolled oats <laughs> don't have it so it's going to be gluten-free anyway and i had to do some research on this and it is a thing and apparently because of the way they're where they're milled and where they're produced wheat can potentially get into it therefore they they, uh, they yeah, cannot Form. Yeah, in their natural form, they're gluten-free, but it's when they put them together. I mean, I bought coconut milk um, earlier today, mm. and it's a big-name brand. It's an Outpro brand. Yeah. And I assumed, yep, it's coconut milk, but it also has rice in it. I get that that is gluten-free, but on a paleo diet, you don't have rice. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Okay. Any grains or, or legumes. Ah, okay. So you, you can't – could you drink it then? Well, I, I did drink it because it's a very – minimal amount of rice in it yeah but that it's not actually it's coconut milk but it's got rice in it it's so it's actually not coconut milk it's actually it's fine it's completely dairy free it's actually quite really good for you it's got good fats in it yeah but it's what they blend it with so your oats are gluten-free they're all fine and good for you yeah but when you put them in a packet and they've added other things to it without you knowing and it might only be two percent yeah but it's not what it was in its original form yeah well that's it and you, you always just assume well oat to oat surely but um you're absolutely right that the production process at some point that wheat can creep in there and again wheat's another thing ridinized over the last few years and it wasn't for any other reason apart from at the time for me um i was looking to um have a drastic change in my diet and i was reducing my body fat in order to get my body fat lower as low as possible at the time for, for a photo shoot and the whole process really surprised me about sort of what food products i could take out my diet and not actually miss um yeah. i took i removed dairy 
um, took, I took gluten out. And again, just noticing the differences and almost analysing my own body every day to see right, what's the difference now? How am I changing? What is happening? And of course, aesthetically, you see physically how I'm changing. But it's how I was feeling inside. And, and it wasn't a huge difference, if I'm honest. Um, and subsequently, I have reintroduced dairy back slowly. I, I'm not overly full of gluten should we say i don't put loads of gluten in my diet but i don't shy away from it at all um so it's i again i have a gluten free diet per se but it's not something which uh, i follow strictly yeah. um, i think that's the thing if you're not actually intolerant to it mm. i think a little bit of it is fine but to base your whole diet on it there are quite a lot of studies that show for your actual gut microbiome things that they're yep. learning more and more every day and it can add in complications. There's a lot of diseases that it can inflame mm. because it's in any way um, echo your natural cosmetic makeup inside. Um, so I think generally everyone knows they should eat more pure, more whole yeah. food. Someone said to me the other day, said the problem with dairy is not so much the dairy, it's the fact that like 20 years ago or whenever your gran was growing up or whatever and there was a bottle of milk and you'd have to drink it within a couple of days or else it'd go off. Yeah. Because now we buy milk and it will stay, even once you've opened it, in the fridge for over a week. Yeah, absolutely right. And so what, what are they doing to it to make it last that long? And that's the problem. Yeah, true. I don't know. If, if I'm honest, I don't know the answer to that. But um, I love milk. I don't I don't have much of it in my diet nowadays, but I do absolutely love milk. And it doesn't affect me um, badly in any way at all. Um, so I guess there is there's a lot of... A lot of people are suggesting that people should be removing dairy from the diets entirely, certainly because of the way the milk gets produced. And as you've probably heard in the news, how it's cruel on the cattle that they're kept in this sort of state of, uh, is it a pregnant state that the cow is kept in in order to be able to sort of maintain it its milk production? Yeah. But um, again, it's something which... I like milk, so I'm not, again, I like meat and everything else. So it's it's a case of as long as it's as long as we, things remain sustainable for me, I don't see anything that's wrong with it. And if your body can cope with it, why not? And I don't have anything against people disregarding certain food groups out of their bodies if they feel that it works for them. Um, so, like you say, you should never really judge other people. You have to work out what's right for you. Mm. It's about when people just latch onto it or actually feel like they're doing it for the right reasons because the media and, and, and everyone's saying this is how you should be mm. that becomes a bit more of a problem i think the, um, the good thing about it is consumers have a massive choice now and what they what they can yes. go out there and what they can buy and whatever their beliefs are whatever their religions are whatever their health status is there is an art food out there which they can attach themselves to and consume with ease um and the and I don't really like the term free from, if I'm entirely honest, because... I think the nature of saying the word free from means that you're missing out on something. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. To change. Generally, that's something that I'd love to see change over the coming years, that you don't have an aisle that's free from. Yeah. Because it's, it's free from, it's actually including a lot of good things by not stripping them out and putting something else in it. Mm. So I think it's a bit of a shift. I don't remember from when we were in Australia as to how focused it was on. It wasn't called free from, I don't think. It probably was called a whole foods aisle. I don't. I, I don't recall, if I'm entirely honest, and I'll probably 
I'll speak to some friends and see what to get them to go and double check what's what's going on in Coles and Woolworths right now. But I'm pretty sure it was just that generally there were a healthy. The foods foods were packaged and generally a little bit healthier, um, from what I recollect. But Liz, what I wanted to sort of say, just to round things up, because I know that. Um, no, we've rambled on already. We have somewhat, but where do you think this is going next? Then, so how we've. I, I agree with you. I do think that the freeform category is going to grow over the coming years into something which hopefully will be turned to something different. It may, let's call it the health food aisle or the well-being aisle, whatever it, whatever the right term is, um, or the whole store just becomes, this is acceptable, this is what we are. We are just healthy and sustainable. It might flip itself on its head and we'll just have a junk food aisle and all the rest is... <laughs> I mean, that might happen. It might happen. The, the sugar aisle, and this is where they have sirens and red well, tape. Years ago, years ago, we used to have Coke machines, and I was I was reading something the other day about Canada now has a vegan vending machine. So, like, who knows where it might go? I mean, it's exciting to that that could even be a commonplace thing that you have. You know, I mean, that's happening right now. There are salad vending machines. Yeah. There are vegan vending machines of all sorts of things that you can get. That's brilliant. It's a really exciting space. And I think it's, at the moment, it's becoming very cluttered mm. options. I think so. I think we have, we also need to mention yeah. with sustainability, along comes the reduced packaged foods, um, which I guess is also a big thing right now in the whole of the um, grocery uh, sector is how can we reduce our packaging? Um, which is great, uh, and it means that it makes our job a little bit harder as packaging designers. Is right. So if we're going to reducing packaging. Where, where do we get these messages on, and how do we sort of con- convey this yeah. to the consumer? It doesn't. It doesn't. As packaging and, and brand designers, I think it doesn't. It doesn't because I think now more than ever, packaging really has a place to play. Yeah. And it's also about, like you say, it's not always about making it smaller. It's often what it's made of. Yeah. It's about even the shape, substrate, format of it yeah. to make it more sustainable as a package. And then what a great job to educate people that by buying this one over this one, you're actually able to help recycle it or save the planet. A lot of people aren't aware even the difference between, and nor are actual our suppliers and buyers, that black packaging is, is the devil. But it's not actually necessarily the amount of packaging. We don't we need to remove the different types of packaging, mm. the different types of plastics. Plas- plastic isn't all bad. Mm. I mean, I work really closely with um, a great colleague, Jill in Pack Science, and some of the facts and figures and things that Jill will find out about that will bring out about plastics not being all bad. We had a client walk in the other day determined to put their product in a Tetra pack oh, yeah. and to explain that all Tetra packs have eight different layers yeah. of um, substrate in them and yes they are recyclable but only by Tetra yeah. so they have to be all the way back to Sweden to recycle them which completely defeats the point and what was, what was the consumer's response to that or so the customer at the end of all we're now working on something that moves them away from a standard Tetra yeah so they are looking at other options to make it more sustainable and that was that um, his was that his main priority then he his uh well the first thing they walked in and they said well we can't have plastic we can't have plastic we want to use Tetra right <laughs> Well, at least it's on their mind. I think that's what's happening. That's what I said. Is, is... 
And that's brilliant. Producers that's really now, brilliant. food manufacturers are thinking, what can we do to make sure that, number one, our foods are still a, still a great quality but and packaged in a way which is sustainable and we know that we're not harming or doing any more harm to uh, the environment than has been done in the past. So that's, that's a great thing. Is if they're willing to change and willing to commit to something, to say, listen, let's make this change now because we're helping out, helping our... Uh, and even if, like you say, then you're able to put a message on a pack, say you can recycle this. What you're doing there is building a brand message with your consumer that, oh, I'm part of the process. I'm helping save the planet yes. as well. It's not just the people who've made this for me, but I can recycle this easily in my bin. Yeah, no, I agree. There's there's a bit of a bandwagon, which I understand, and some brands are are doing the best they can to jump on that to make sure that they are that's towards the front of the queue as far as what they've done. Yeah. Um, it can, I think that it can't be rushed. It needs to be done in a way which doesn't make them look that they're they're trying too hard. Because I think it can be a bit of a turn off sometimes when uh, you get brands suddenly saying we are we're plastic friendly or plastic friendly, we're eco friendly and removing plastics from our brands. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Um, who knows where it's going to go? But I think, as you said, it's very exciting, uh, and I think the the free from category whatever form it takes uh in the coming years um is only going to grow and get bigger um so let's uh, watch that space and see how it all i guess moves on um all right then Lisa. well listen thank you ever so much for your time today Thanks,